Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat and as you do, get a Bible in front of you to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. Um, if you need a Bible, there's one under a seat and you'll find the book of Malachi in the table of contents right before you get to the New Testament, uh, chapter 2. We're in a, a seven-week series um, uh, called Revive, uh, six wake-up calls for our faith. And uh, so if you're here and you're just like, this is a dry season for you and your walk with the Lord, or um, this is maybe a, a, a season where you've wandered from the Lord, like we hope that this study in Malachi will be a great blessing to you. But if you're here and you're just, this is a vibrant season and like things are going well, um, we hope that there's things that we'll study in the book of Malachi that will help us continue to walk closely and intimately with the Lord. And so um, uh, we're trusting God to do a great work through this study here. But I got a question as you get settled in your Bibles this morning, and, and the question is this, what does honor look like? What does honor look like? Now, it, you know, if we wanted to have a conversation about honor, we could no doubt Google a definition of honor and then try to maybe like put the pieces together and we could have kind of this, this, this conversation about honor. But I think you and I both know honor is one of those things that you, you see it, uh, it. It's evident when you see it. Uh, you know when you're in the presence of someone who's deserving of honor. You, you, you can remember those instances, how you talked and how you acted when you're in someone's presence. You're like, man, that's someone that's worthy of honor. Uh, on the flip side of that, You've maybe been in some situations where there was someone present there who you thought was deserving of honor and they were dishonored and you know the emotions that rose up inside of you uh, because you're like, what, how, how did that person say that to them or why did that go down like that? What, is, what does honor look like? Um, really important question because uh, as we look at these wake-up calls God has for his people, um, the wake-up call we're going to see today is God's people have an honor problem. And now I want to be very clear, the honor problem that is a part of God's people right now, it's not honor for someone in the midst of the community. It's not, uh, it's not an honor problem for some person. The honor problem that God is going to call out in a very direct, very loving, but very passionate way is that God's people lack honor for God. And we saw Pastor Joe kind of started this last week, and I'm kind of, if you think of it, part two of what Pastor Joe began last week. And if you look back in your Bibles at Malachi 1, verse 6, it says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, and what are the next two words, to you who? Oh, priests. And so God begins to make a statement to the priests, to the spiritual leaders in the community. Like if there's anyone in the community who should have known something about what it looked like to honor the Lord, it should have been the priests. Um, as that paragraph we looked at last week continued, God broadened the application to begin to uh, kind of call out all of his people, not just the priests, but he, he begins to call out all the people and say, hey, let's talk about these sacrifices you're bringing me. Like, like, you're going to your sheep pen, and you're bringing the lamb with the broken leg. You're bringing the sick lamb that's going to die anyway. He goes, you wouldn't present these sacrifices to your governor. You wouldn't bring this to your human authority, and why are you bringing these sacrifices to me? But as chapter 2 begins, God's going to narrow back in its focus specifically on the spiritual leaders within the community. He's going to speak right to the priests. And he's going to say, let's talk about this honor thing again. Priest, where's my honor? 
And he's got some strong, strong things to say to them in the midst of this. Now, uh, today's message is going to be structured like this. We're first going to see a warning. So we're going to see the clear warning that God uh, issues to the priests here, the spiritual leaders of God's people in this day. And then after this, um, we're going we're gonna to look at two life-searching or two heart-searching questions. Um, these two life or heart-searching questions are going to be brought up right by the text. And they will be, I'm just, you know, forewarning, right? They will be heart-searching for us. Uh, this whole series is being preached in the shadow of the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And uh, these two questions we're going to look at today, uh, they're, they're going to search our hearts. And they're going to show, show a bit maybe. Uh, God, by his spirit, is going to show us a bit maybe what is there. But I want to say this before I pray and, and really get into the meat of the message. Um, we got to ask the question. What is applicable to us, Jesus followers, thousands and thousands of years after all of this stuff took place? What's applicable from, from an ancient text that of God speaking directly to his priests of the nation of Israel? What in the world is applicable to us? I hope through God's word to show us through some theology of the priesthood that what we're going to study today is very, very directly applicable to all of us sitting in this room right now who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if you're sitting in this room right now and you don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, your Savior, my hope is that by the end of this message, you will know very clearly what a life of honoring God looks like by beginning a relationship with him today. Sound good, church? Let's pray and ask for God's help and let his word speak. God, speak through your word. It's a prayer every week. God, there's going to be some really uh, heavy statements in this passage. There's going to be some really convicting things. And so, God, I know my temperament and I know my disposition. God, I ask that you would restrain me from trying to preach power into this because the power is already there in the word. So, God, because of the intensity in which you're going to say some of this, I don't need to pound the pulpit. The intensity is there. So, God, I just pray your protection around um, not only what is preached in this pulpit, but how it is preached. God, give great discernment on that. Lord, I pray that your word would accomplish the work it sets forth to do in each and every heart in here. Lord, I pray even in the midst of some heavy statements in this, if, if there's hearts that need encouraged, you would even encourage them from this. Lord, if there's hearts that need convicted, convict them, Lord. If there's sin that needs to be repented of, God, accomplish that work today. God, get glory with our lives. And Lord, you and your wisdom have set up like the proclamation of your word as a way of, of getting our heart back on track or calling us to faith. And so God, please, would you just accomplish that which you said to do as your word goes out, as it's divided rightly, and as your spirit uh, just blows the power behind it. Please, Lord, do that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O priests... This command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, take what to heart, Lord? To give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings 
Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Okay, so let's just understand. So we're all on the same page what exactly God is saying. He's looking at the priest and he's saying, priest, if you do not take this to heart, take what to heart? The honor of my name. Do you remember last week, uh, Pastor Joe had this illustration here and he talked about that honor word. And he said, uh, honor, that honor word, it means glory or it means weight. If the God is saying, if you will not take the heart, the gravitas of my name, the weight, the glory of who I am. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the priests, the spiritual leaders. He's saying, spiritual leaders of my people, you do not even understand the weight, the glory, the gravitas, the honor that my name is due. And then he goes on to say, if you will not take this to heart, the honor of my name. He gives them a warning. He says, Then I will send the curse upon you. Okay, that's interesting. Because it would be one thing if we came to that part and it said, then, and then I will send curses upon you. And we might go, okay, that's probably a statement of God's judgment and he'll do some things in the future. Um, but he says, then I will bring the curse upon you. And he goes on to say, I will curse your blessings. When he says, I'll bring the curse upon you, it seems that God is uh, referring to something very specific. And I think that the priests, the spiritual leaders of Israel, would have totally recognized and understood exactly what God is talking about here. What is God talking about? All the way back to Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there, but let me explain this. Um, the people of God, the Israelites, they're on the edge of the promised land. And before they cross over the promised land, remember Moses didn't get to cross over with them. He huddles them up and he says, okay, here's the deal. You can find all this Deuteronomy 27 and 28. He said, here's the deal. Deuteronomy means second law. So they've recited the law again. They've reminded the people, here's what the law says before they go and inhabit the promised land. Moses says, okay, huddle up, huddle up. Here's what's going to happen. When you get into the promised land, you have to do this. He goes, six of you, six of the tribes of Israel, you're going to gather on one hill or one mount, Mount Ebal. And the other six of you, the other six tribes, you're going to gather on Mount Gerizim. And so this is kind of, you can see the shadows of the outline of these two mountains in Israel. I've been there. It's amazing. And you have these two mountains and it kind of forms a natural amphitheater. And you have, imagine, just a multitude of people, six tribes on one hill, six tribes on the other hill. And the leaders are standing down there. And what happened at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim is the blessings and the curses were recited. So you had the six tribes on one hill, and they're saying, blessed are we if we obey the Lord. And you can read all this, Deuteronomy 27, 28, and then again in Joshua. Uh, they're reciting, here are the blessings that God will shower on us if we will honor and obey him uh, by keeping his commandments. And then you had the heavy part. The other hill, the other mount, is reciting the curses. But cursed are we. If we do not honor the Lord and we do not keep his commandments and very specific curses are read, I believe what God is saying to his priests in this day in Malachi 
He's hearkening all the way back to right when they had come across the promised land and they'd recited the blessings and the curses. And I think even when he goes on to say, um, I will curse your blessings. He's going, even some of those blessings that I showered, like I'll curse those if you do not honor my name. And it's a very heavy warning to God's people and specifically the spiritual leadership of God's people here. Now, if we've missed the heaviness of the warning thus far, verse 3 is about to make it very, very clear. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. I'll spread dung on your faces. What in the world is up with this? Like, you know, you read this and you go, how, how is that fitting for God's, like, character? Like, what's he, like, if we said that to someone else, it'd be like, whoa, isn't that unloving? What, what is God saying here? Remember last week as uh, we unpacked the sacrifices that these people were bringing to the Lord. Pastor Joe worked us through how a sacrifice would have worked, what would have happened in a sacrifice. And without all the details, you know, all the sights and sounds and smells of what an animal being slaughtered would be like. At the end of a sacrifice, you'd be left there with the remains, the refuse, the intestines and the dung. And how a sacrifice would work is all of that would be taken and collected and it'd be carried outside of the camp and it'd be burned as unclean. So when God says, you know, those sacrifices you're bringing me, I'm going to take that unclean refuse, the dung and intestines, I will wipe that on your face and I'll carry you out of the camp as unclean because that is how you're acting. That is the lack of honor that you're showing me. It's a direct connection to the sacrifices, sacrificial system and how it worked. And God is making a very, very, I think what God is doing is making the most pointed passionate statement about the lack of honor of these people that he could possibly make. I think as the people of this day, the priests of this day would have, would have thought about the refuse of a sacrifice, the dung in its tents, wiped on their face and carried out of the camp. God is trying to communicate as clear as he can the utter disdain he has for the way they are going about living their life under his authority. And I just want to say it like this. There's grave danger for those who don't honor God. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that's not, that statement in its heaviness is not the scare tactic of a preacher. It's not my intention. My intention is just try to pull out from the text, the passage, what is there, and to see what God is saying to his, his, his priests, his leaders in that day. And um, I, I want you to know there's good news coming at the end of this message of how do we as God's people who have all sinned against God, how do we avoid that grave danger on our own life? And what, is, what has God done 
to give us a remedy for that grave danger. How do we go about honoring God? That's coming. But on the heels of this warning that God gives, we need to ask two questions here today. And they're not complicated. They're not complex. They're very straightforward. The two questions just simply get at, as we look and search our lives, are we living lives that give honor and glory and praise to God? Or as we look at our lives today, are we, if we were honest, and sometimes it's hard to be because we have blind spots and we always can't see clearly. But if we're honest, like, do our lives not give honor and glory and praise to God? And these are the two questions we get at. Now, God's about to do something in verse 4. He's just warned the current priests based on their lives and their lack of honor for him. Like, hey, I've warned you. Now he's going to hearken all the way back to the beginning of the covenant he established with the priests. And he's going to say, here's what characterized this. Here's what this was supposed to look like. Here's what defined what my relationship with the priest was and was always to be. And here's how you've corrupted that. But look at what he says in verse 4 to get at the positives that was to characterize his relationship with his priests. Verse 4. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Now let's stop and let's just all understand uh, what he's saying here and who Levi is. Uh, Dakota, go all the way to, to that last slide, if you would, again, of this family tree. Jacob, uh, his name changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Eventually, uh, they come back and they settle in the promised land. And as uh, the nation of Israel settles in the promised land, uh, there's some interesting things that happen in how the land is distributed or broken up. Joseph gets a double portion, a double blessing. His sons Ephraim and Manasseh inherit uh, land amongst uh, the tribes. But then there's one son of Jacob whose descendants do not get any land inheritance. That son's name is Levi. Uh, it's not that Levi was left out. Levi was given a very special inheritance by the Lord. Uh, from the tribe of Levi was to come all the priests. From, it was the tribe of Levi that had the responsibility of, of watching over the tabernacle service and the temple service. And so they had a very special inheritance from the Lord for temple service. That, and, and they didn't get any land inheritance. All the other tribes were to give a portion of their fruit to Levi to take care of him. And now God God is describing, he's about to describe, verse 5 and on, what the, the relationship with the Levites was supposed to be. Verse 5, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned me from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So let's just look at some of the positive characteristics that God's relationship with Levi was supposed to be characterized by. He said it was one of life and one of peace. He said it was one of fear. He said awe described what the Levites once looked at God with. He said true instruction was in their mouth. They, saw, they taught the word of God as it is the word of God. Uh, they were upright. This is what it was supposed to be. And now all of these characteristics and these things we see listed here, it can really be summarized like this. These people, the Levites in the beginning and how this was supposed to work, they just were simply to live lives that honored God and honored God's word. Just plain and simple. Their lives were to honor God 
and to honor God's word. Now, I'm about to apply this to our life here. And this gets back to what I said in the beginning. How in the world can we know that what we're studying right now actually has application to our life here today? Maybe you're going, okay, if he's addressing it to spiritual leaders in his day then, like, maybe this is just a passage for spiritual leaders in our day now. It is that, but it's more than that. I want us to show through the theology of the priesthood throughout the Bible how I believe that's so. So we looked at how the Levitical priesthood was begun a bit. And um, then uh, Jesus Christ comes. And Jesus Christ fulfills all of what it means to be a king of Israel. He is the king of kings. Jesus, pri- Jesus Christ is the greater prophet. So, and, you know, he's the one who follows up Moses, and he is the greater prophet. And then Jesus Christ, read it in the book of Hebrews, he is the great high priest who comes. So Jesus Christ is our high priest. We don't have any more need in the church today for a high priest because Jesus Christ came, and he is our high priest. He's torn the veil. He's made a way to God, and all God's people say amen to that. So... He is the high priest, and now because those of us who in faith know Christ, then the, Bible, the New Testament teaches something that really, like if we'll dwell on it, will blow our mind. It teaches what we call the priesthood of all believers. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to, sh- put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that we are a royal priesthood through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. So now, let's look at what's to define a relationship between God and a priesthood. There's grave danger for those who don't honor God. Write this first question down. Does my life reflect one who loves and honors God and his word? If we said what characterized how God was supposed to have relationships with Levites was all of those positive attributes that were listed, does my life, as I look at the attributes of it, reflect one who loves and honors God and his word? And now let me ask some sub-questions under that big question. Am I seeking with a holy zeal to conform my life to the word? Am I with my life in hot pursuit of holiness? Do I understand that I'm called by God to be set apart, sanctified, and holy? As a deer pants for water, am I thirsting for the Lord? Does my, is my life characterized by a reverent fear and awe of who he is? Now, let's talk about how awe works, right? Awe isn't something we can produce in ourselves. Awe happens when we draw near to something that is awe-inspiring. So, like, this, this awe for the Lord reveals to me, for, for me, when I'm in seasons where there's a nearness to the Lord, that I can sit in the awe of, the pres- of his presence, 
Does my life, is my life characterized by like this awe and fear and reverence for the Lord? Uh, just quick kind of commercial here. If you're like, I want more of that, grab someone. I encourage you to do this with someone else. Uh, Blackabees wrote a book, Experiencing God. Grab it, just start working through that with someone. Meet at a coffee shop, read a chapter a week, and just see if God might use that as kind of an igniter on some awe and reverence of who he is. Now, I list these things. Um, Certainly, there's no perfect people in here. Certainly, none of us can, all of those things I listed, we go, check, check, got it. No growth needed there. No, right? We all see the gaps in our own heart in this regard. Praise God for Jesus, who is our righteousness and holiness on our behalf, right? But yeah, but then uh, Jesus, as our righteousness and holiness, he also calls us to pursue righteousness and holiness, and that's where we just are evaluating our life in the shadow of Psalm 139 to say, Lord, search me and show me what is there. Because now God, in verse 8, is going to do something. He's going to say, this is what was supposed to characterize my relationship with my priests, the Levites. And now, current priests, let me tell you what characterized what you guys are living like. Verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. And so let's go to the other side of this table. If the original intent with God's relationship with the priest was to be that, Let's talk about the current state of where the priesthood is at. Um, they've turned aside from the way. And they've caused, they're causing the people to stumble. They've corrupted the covenant. They're despised and abased. They do not keep God's ways. And they're showing partiality in how they teach God's word. They've completely like abandoned what lives of honor to God and the honor of teaching God's word accurately. And they're like completely forfeiting everything God has called them to be and to do as priests. And if the positive side of this is a life described, you know, all those things describing a life in which God and his word are honored, the other side of this table is describing lives that are not honoring to the Lord and don't care about honoring his word. And that just leads to that second question, that hard question we're going to ask ourselves today. And that second question is this, does my life, on the other hand, reflect one who does not honor God and his word? And I know that's not easy for us to answer, so some sub-questions under this question. Have you, have you turned aside from the way? What does that mean? Um, are you living with sin in your life? And has maybe it been around for so long, like months, years, decades, that like you were once convicted about it and you no longer even feel conviction about it? Like it's just, it's just there. And you remember days where like where that sin would rear its ugly head and you would like mourn and repent. And now it's just like, you can sin in that way in that regard and you just go on with your day like, like it's not out of the norm. You know, God has called us as his church to be set apart, holy, and sanctified. And 
where there's sin in our life, God loves us so much. And I want you to hear that. Like when he says, like he'll discipline, like he'll discipline his children, like a good dad disciplines, it's because he loves us. And if we got sin in our life, God will love us enough to like lead it to be exposed and he'll discipline us for our own good in this regard. But we gotta, we gotta, deal, we gotta deal with that. Have we turned aside from the way? Uh, have you compartmentalized your walk with Jesus to Sunday mornings and maybe small group evenings? So do you project something when you're here or when you gather with your small groups that like your coworkers, your closest friends, your family would say like, that, one of my, I'll just be transparent. One of my greatest fears as a pastor, like with my wife who sits down here and has, has to listen to my preaching every week. And um, when my kids are old enough to sit in here and listen to dad's preaching every week, one of my greatest fears is that they would sit in here and they would go, who's that guy? And you're like, that's your dad. They're like, that guy preaching is not the guy I was with last night. That's one of my greatest fears as a pastor. I'm so thankful for an awesome wife who, in her love, when, I, uh, when she starts to see maybe a little crack or disconnect between the guy preaching and the guy at home, doesn't refer to me as dear, honey, or Brock, will go, okay, Pastor Brock. <laughs> and that's always a nice little reminder to me that maybe, uh, maybe some, uh, yeah, there, maybe there's just a disconnect between the guy in the living room and the guy in the, in the pulpit, and I'm grateful for those loving rebukes when they happen. I just ask, hey, a couple of things on this. This can go one of two ways. If you're faking it, stop faking it. Jesus loves you. And we do too. So if there's sin in your life, when you go together in small groups and you're out in men and women's time, just say, there's sin in my life. And you're like, you don't understand. I tried that once and I got burnt by a group of Christians. I'm so sorry. I really am. I really am. But we love you. And I pray that your small group does too. But like, let's not project something one place and then be something totally else another. Have you compartmentalized your walk with Jesus to Sunday mornings or small group evenings? And then just a last sub-question under this is this. Um, are you unashamed of his word? And I, I get, even like as a pastor, I struggle with that. When you're in mixed company, maybe some Christians there, some non-Christians there, and like you, you, like the direction of the conversation is going some way, and you're like, I'm, ugh, I'm so scared to say like what God says about this, because I know then I'll be labeled as this narrow-minded, like, but like, you don't have to be mean or, or, um, or over the top or obnoxious about it. You can just simply say with love, like, hey, here's this is what we're talking. I think here's like what God would say about that. Are you unashamed about his gospel? Listen, the gospel means good news. We don't have to be shamed about it. We don't have to like cloak it in all of these other things. And like, man, once I hang out with that person for like 15 years and they know how much I love them, then I'll tell them about Jesus. No. We don't have to be ashamed of God and his word. The priests right now in this time, they're ashamed of just saying what God has said in his word. And God's calling them out on it. We can lovingly just communicate what God says about this. Um, church, this is a wake-up call to the religious leaders of the day that I hope throughout just showing God's 
priesthood of all believers connects to us today. But here's what the wake-up call that I'd say it to us as a church today. Wake up and give God glory. Wake up and give glory to God by honoring him and his word. That we would just take inventory of our lives. And like I said before, all of us have gaps in this. There isn't someone who, like, as we take inventory of our life and these things can go, yep, got it, check, next thing, pastor, what you got next week? All of us are taking inventory of these things and just saying, God, show me where you're not getting glory, where I'm not honoring you with my life, where I'm not honoring your word and how I'm living or how I'm talking about it or where, I, where I'm saying things that are contrary to what your word would say. And God, bring us in line with what you want. Give God glory with our lives. And you don't have to turn there, but Pastor Joe read something that's so fitting for the entire book of Malachi from Romans 12. And I just want to read it in closing here today. But Romans 12 once says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what God's will, what the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, will you stand with me? I hope today a couple things on a couple different fronts. I hope if you're in this room and for some reason God in his wisdom brought you here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to hear this. Um, and I promised you that I would tell you how we can escape the warning of that danger of lives that don't honor God. Um, the only way we can honor God is by knowing his son Jesus Christ as our savior. So, like this was, a, this was a message about like pursuing holiness, pursuing righteousness, getting right with God. There is no way to pursue holiness and righteousness apart from knowing Jesus Christ personally. Like we can't drum up righteousness. Like we can try all we want and we'll still go home and stub our toe and cuss. Like we will, I don't, I never do that. But, but like you, you like, that's what's in our heart. Like you, so if you hear this message today and you go, okay, be more holy, honor God with my life. Great, got it, I'm gonna go try. Like this is some self-help thing, it's not that. There's better news than that. God, out of his love for us, because he saw us stubbing our toe, cussing, all that kind of, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was holy, absolutely purely holy absolutely unblemished the unblemished perfect lamb of god came and he died for you and he died for me that the, the bible says it demands a response and the response is this faith it's faith it's believe the, the word is believe and the bible believe believe don't i have to do more than that no you believe but doesn't God want a holy life? Like, what if I just believe? No, once you really believe in Jesus, he will change you from the inside out. And people will go, he looks the same, but he ain't the same. She looks the same, but she ain't the same. That's the good news of the gospel. And so if you're in here today, I just trust the spirit of God. That is, you heard a message about honoring God with your life, that the spirit of God right now is going, hey, I love you, I love you, your life's not honoring me. I want you to know me. I want relationship with you. Come be a child, come be a son, come be a daughter. And he's calling you to, to himself and that you would not resist the irre irresistible grace of God that's calling you today. Believe, 
call out on call out on the name of Jesus right there in your seat and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to have my life. If if it helps, you know, old school style altar call. While we're singing here to close, you want to come down, you want to kneel, you want to give your life to Jesus right up here. You want us to put a leader alongside of you to help you understand what you're doing. Uh, come on up. The altar's open as we sing this this closing song. Just come up. Something even about the physical moving of your feet forward to say, Lord Jesus, my life is changing from this day forward. The altar's open as we sing to close. But then if you're uh, here and you're a follower of Jesus, um, I told, man, this, this, this series is just, uh, like, a, you're like, man, that was heavy stuff. I know, I had to study it all week, right? And so the work that God's doing on my heart to, to like, God has me in a season right now where he's like, Brock, sanctified, sanctified, you're set apart, you're called to be holy. And, and like, then I find myself like, right, you're watching TV or like, you know, and you're, you catch yourself laughing at things on a sitcom or whatever. And you're like, oh, man, God wouldn't be laughing about that, right? And I'm just convicted right now of like, God wants greater sanctifying holiness, righteousness of my life. So as I abide in Christ, now those of us who know Christ, then we abide in Christ. Because, because it's not only for the unbelievers who can't drum up righteousness, we as believers can't drum up righteousness on our own. We must abide in him and let him work in and through us. And so I'm just praying for us, church, that if there's sin in our life, man, let's repent, let's just bring it to the light. Let's confess it to the Lord and then let's Get with our small groups this week and say, guys, I, listen, I've been acting like there's something not there. There's something there. And I hope you all love me the same after I say it. But even if you don't, I know God loves me the same after I say it. And that just, his loving, I'm off script now, right? Um, his loving kindness would just lead us to repentance. Church, he loves you so much. There's nothing that you can divulge that God's like, oh, I didn't know that. He knows. He knows. And he just wants our lives to honor him. And just, he wants us to read his word and then go, okay, I'll do that, Lord. But man, I don't even have the power to do that, Lord. So you got to help me do that. And he's like, remember I said, like, if when I leave, I'll give you my helper and he'll work that in and through you. That, so let's pursue that. Let's pursue that. Father, as we close with a time of worship, I just pray. For anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus, Lord, would today be the day? Draw their heart near. God, I pray for those of us who are Christians in the room who, Lord, we just get, we got to repent of some stuff. We got we to gotta let you do some work on our heart. Lord, the altar is open to Christians this morning too, Lord, who need to come down here and just physically get on their knees and, and say, Lord, I need to do some business with you here. And so God, uh, accomplish whatever work you want to do. I, tr I trust your spirit fully to just apply this to the hearts individually the way you see fit. God, you'll do it for your glory in Jesus' name.